just ask yourself 30 years from now, would you be happy if you stayed there? Like even if financially, if it didn't work out, would you have been proud of yourself that you at least took the shot? I mean, like how many people that you see regret taking a risk? But when it's when you're betting on yourself, um, I, I haven't met someone that has regretted investing in themselves, whether they failed at it or not. The real failure is not trying. Hey everyone, welcome to the Finding Fire podcast this week. And this week we had the pleasure to sit down with Ryan Sestad of Better in Our Backyard. Better in Our Backyard is a coalition of dedicated young professionals and emerging leaders in the region who understand that responsible industry creates a thriving economy in northern Minnesota while protecting the region's pristine environment. Ryan is the executive director of Better in Our Backyard. We discussed his move across country to take this position, as well as how he continually promotes responsible industrial development, how he educates young professionals on the benefits of responsible industry, and how he promotes careers in the union building trades throughout the region. Sit back and enjoy this episode. All right, start us off. All right, well, let's just dive in. Ryan, thank you for joining us this evening to talk about Better in Our Backyard. No problem. So first question is, what is Better in Our Backyard? Because it's an organization that is local to Duluth, and I've yet to hear about it until just recently. Well, uh, Better in Our Backyard originally started in uh, roughly 2017, and um, basically what Better in Our Backyard was created to do was promote responsible industrial development in northern Minnesota with our main target audience being young professionals. And I would say as time has gone on, it, we've slowly evolved to just kind of advocating for industry in general and, and targeting anyone that uh, supports responsible industry. Obviously, still with the respect for young professionals, but um, I would just say in general, you know, my personal approach has been to running it as kind of being the ESPN of industry almost in the area. Okay. And what is your position? Uh, executive director. So what, what led up to Better in Our Backyard? Kind of where did that... The, the way I understand it... Um, and the way, I, and the reason why I say it this way was this was before I got involved in local politics in Duluth. Was that someone gave a pretty passionate speech to the Duluth City Council when they were talking about um, uh, passing a resolution against Polymet, and the person gave an impassioned speech saying, you know, I'm a I'm an engineer or, or a geologist by trade, one of the two. Um, I'm an environmentalist at heart, um, but I know that we can do it better here in our backyard. You know, we can extract the minerals here. Uh, safer than foreign countries than say like a Congo extracting cobalt, and and from there uh, from their comments then um, uh, a marketing firm called Giant Voices, which is run by Lisa Bodine and Pasha Apter, um, Lisa kind of came up with this idea better in our backyard, and and then uh, you know and then some other organizations in the area that are friendly to industry kind of gave their ideas and their pitch to it, and then they felt that there was a need. Um, for an organization to uh, target young professionals. And so they just came up with the name Better in Our Backyard. And, and then once they got enough seed funding, then they thought maybe I could do an okay job running it. So so why why you? I guess what's like your entrepreneurial spirit in you? Like, did you know this is something you wanted to do? Or did you have like a, like a nine to five on the side, but you were super interested in this side of the like industrial business? Um, well, what kind of got me interested was, um, you know, I knew in high school I wanted to run a company uh, someday, not necessarily a nonprofit, but 
Um, I knew I wanted to be wearing a suit every day, and that's not what I do now. But I mean, at that time when I was 16, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I, you know, I want to be Wolf of Wall Street type of thing. And, yeah. and um, you know, so then I went to college at, at UND for business management, and, and uh, um, you know, I learned, you know, I, I took a big interest in economics, and I just saw how big of a role the oil industry played to Grand Forks, even though that there oh, isn't yeah. any oil fields next to Grand Forks. And then I got sick of Grand Forks, so I moved to Duluth. And I was working at Tavern on the Hill, and then I didn't get enough hours there. Um, I was just taking a semester off. Then I was like literally door knocking for jobs, and one of the companies that offered me a job was Parsons Electric, and uh, a warehousing position. And um, and it was during my interview, I, I was talking with them, and they're asking me what my goals were, and I said, well, I want to run a business, or you know, I'm going to school for business management, and and. Uh, um, and they're like, well, we could see you taking over the warehouse someday, you know, once you finish your degree. And I said, well, with all due respect, at the time I had a big interest in construction. And I just said, you know, with all due respect, I'm going to school so I can take your job someday. Not, you know, <laughs> nothing against warehousing or anything. I just yeah. don't want to work in a warehouse. Yeah. And, and uh, I thought I bombed the interview after that. And then about 15 minutes after, his name is Denny Johnson. He called me and said, hey, you know, and instead of, um, you know, doing this, how about you come in and learn how to estimate and be an intern? And project manage. So I was project managing my first jobs at 2021. And, and what got my interest was I learned really quickly that the mining industry plays a heavy role in Duluth. And I didn't know that at the time. I, I had no mm -hmm. clue what mining really was um, sure. until I started at Parsons. Um, and then what kind of drove my interest in local politics was just... Um, you know, I, I from what I took from Grand Forks, like you know, when I was in Grand Forks, I got a two dollar raise overnight at my warehouse because the oil industry was booming at the time, and and so then when you come to Duluth and it's tough to find a job, but yet you know, local government is basically, I don't know, I mean, they're talking bad about an industry that is basically helping keep Duluth afloat. Mm -hmm. They don't want it to succeed, right. and right. it just was just like this is this is BS, you know. Yeah. So I. I, I decided that's what got me really intrigued by the mining industry was like, God, there's a, there's a heavy labor industry. My dad's a teamster and, you know, my grandpa's a retired iron worker, um, on my dad's side. And then, you know, on my mom's side, he, he was a retired teamster. I was just kind of like, I mean, it's in your blood. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, you're talking about union jobs in Duluth, but you're, 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 but you're talking bad about union jobs at the range. This doesn't make any sense, you know? And that's what I noticed a lot with the local politics. And then, so that just got me really interested. So I decided to run, and then that's when I first heard about Better in Our Backyard. And then after I lost, the idea was talked about, but it wasn't anything that was official. And then I moved down to Tulsa randomly for six months. But I was helping manage a data center for Parsons Electric. Awesome. And, um, and it was a big data center, and I, but I knew I, I wanted to get out of the construction industry. And so there was a job post. I'm kind of giving a long answer to this. but No, it's all good. Um, this is great. They... Uh, they, I saw that there was a job opening a bit in our backyard. It wasn't like, we know Ryan's going to take this. So, I mean, they were thinking, he's down in Tulsa. He ain't going to come back up here. <laughs> right. And they had no clue. I, I just really did not like my job at the time. I mean, I was getting paid well. They were treating me well. Parsons Electric is a great company. Um, but it just wasn't for me. And uh, um, and once I saw that there's an opening, I jumped on it and, and wanted to move back to Duluth as soon as possible. Any, awesome. Any hesitation? Um, just based on the climate around the industry, the negative. What say, say that again? So, Actually. did you have any hesitation to taking the job, or like before no. you were like, okay, here are some of the challenges that I'm gonna have to overcome because of the 
environment or perception of the industry? That, that didn't scare me because I believed in it. Like there were so many different things. Um, the economic portion, I believed in it. Um, uh, the labor side of it, I believed in it. Like, you know, you're saying it's in your blood. Like I never was in a, a labor union, but you know, growing up, I mean, I had great health insurance until I was 26 because I used my dad's Teamsters health insurance. And, and my mom and my dad were never together growing up. And I always had a relationship with both of them. And, um, but I mean, my mom has been extremely successful and, but we still used his health insurance for my care, even though, you know, I mean, she on paper had the better job. I mean, cause the, I mean, the unions have great health insurance benefits and, right. And so when I thought when I, so basically in general, I just thought that as long as the mining industry is successful, there's going to be more young people like me that are going to be taken care of, you know, by their parents that are working these good jobs. And then when they're old enough, you know, they have those same opportunities, they'll have those same opportunities, you know, to, to have a good career within the building trades. I mean, you see some of those guys and, you know, within the IBW, for example, I saw, you know, you know, electricians talking about how they have a million dollars. I mean, that's the, I mean, these aren't common stories, but you see it every once in a while where, you know, you talk about guys that have been in the, you know, in the trades for 30 plus years and they have over a million in their annuity. Um, I mean, these are, these are good jobs. Mm -hmm. So, so that part of it was pretty easy. Like I knew, I believed in everything of what Better in Our Backyard stood for and, and I believed in its potential. Actually, the only thing, you know, if there was any hesitation in my thought process was just that, you know, it was, you know, and it, it was a little tough to go from a job that had benefits to a contractual job yeah. and learning how to be a contractor. That I think that was kind of the, if there was any hesitation and if there was, it may have been for an hour, mm -hmm. um, was just going from a job that was safe and secure to a job that wasn't as safe and secure, like going from a big company that, you know, they're going to have their clients, they're going to have the cash flow coming in, they'll, they'll have opportunities for you in different industries, whether you want to work at a data center or, or work up at a mine or whatever, you know, help project manage a, you know, Superior Street reconstruction, like you're, you're going to have opportunities mm -hmm. to something where it's, this is kind of up to you sure. in a way, yeah. you know. I apologize if you said this already, but what, what was that first position? At Better in Our Backyard when you first moved back? Was it a, like an entry it level? Is technically, or? it was outreach coordinator. Okay. Um, and then and then just after I proved, proved myself, I would say, or after Better in Our Backyard proved itself, um, then it just got tied up to executive director. Got it. Can you talk a bit about, just like you said young professionals as part of your target market. Like, How do you get in front of, like us, I'll say us, we're 33, 28 to 33-year-olds, to keep them in Duluth? Like, I feel like Better in Our Backyard really help Duluth in that regard with the kids in college and, you know, why stay in Duluth and get, you know, get your brand in front of them. And, and that's been difficult. Yeah. Um, you know, it, when I first started, it was, we would try to get in with the colleges and, and we had some success with panel discussions. Sure. Um, and so the biggest sales pitch that I try to tell them or, or the biggest thing I try to tell them that, you know, because and I, and I was one of them um, before I moved to Duluth. You know, I didn't have a positive or negative opinion on the mining industry, but, um, you know, it's a tough sell to tell the kids that, you know, when the mining industry is thriving, whether you're working in that industry or not, it's going to, if you want to stay in Duluth, that's going to positively impact you. Because, like, you know, like, for example, when Polymet's beginning construction, there's going to be a lot of laborers and, and construction workers that are going to go up there. They're going to be making a lot of extra cash. They might be making per diem. And they're not going to want to be spending it unless if it's during the week in Virginia or Gilbert, Minnesota or White Lakes. They're they're going to want to go down to Canal Park and party all weekend, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know. And then they're going to be tipping bartenders that 
are probably against PolyMed or something. I don't want to loop them all in one, but yeah. you know, people in the service industry that are against these projects, and that's what I try to tell them. I'm like, it's not just that industry. There's a lot of indirect benefits that come with the success of projects like PolyMet or even Twin Metals down the road or currently right now what we're seeing with uh, Enbridge's line through replacement project. Um, and so, you know, one thing growing up too, um, I had a lot of family friends that went to college at UMD or just in the Duluth area. And, they, and the common theme that I hear is I would have stayed there, but there wasn't any jobs mm-hmm. there. Yep. And so I moved back to the cities or, you know, I moved back to Foston or I moved back to Grand Forks or Fargo. Mm-hmm. I hear that all the time and it doesn't need to be that way. Um, but people just need to realize that it's, you know, it's, you're going to have to have industry be a success so that you don't hear those stories anymore Yep. or as much. Right. I want to loop back around just a little bit. You had mentioned right away that the city of Duluth relies on the mining industry. Can you talk about some of the projects that we have going on within this area right now? So maybe, you know, listeners that don't have really any clue about what's happening within that industry, how that supports Duluth and what we have going on. Yeah. So like, for example, like, uh, let's say if, um, and, or I should say when it is, when PolyMet's North Med project is a success, you know, there's going to be 330 permanent jobs that are going to be created and each one of those jobs. And then not only that, like for like kind of a good rule of thumb and some people will say more, but a conservative way of looking at it is that for every mining job that you create up on the range, you create two incidental jobs, whether it's a vendor, whether it's a project manager at Parsons Electric or, um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, there, there's just a bigger benefit where in comparison to the tourism industry for every job that you create in the tourism industry, you're only creating a quarter of a job in the local economy. Um, and tourism jobs are great, but it's just, it's not comparable to the mining industry. So what I, I try to tell people is that there's a lot of people that will travel from the Duluth or Hermantown area up to the range to work and they'll come back home. And each, and not only that though too, the reason why it creates a lot of incidental jobs is that the average mining wage in Minnesota pays in excess of 90 grand a year. So I mean, you're talking about 330 people that are making over 90 plus K a year that are going into the area, plus another 660 incidental jobs that are making similar wages. So you're looking at roughly a thousand extra jobs a year where people are making 80 to 100 grand a year. Right. I mean, like, you know, and and they're not going to, yeah, and and a lot of those people are going to be living in the outskirts of Duluth. I mean, they might not, a lot of people don't want to make that trip, so they might be living in local areas, but at some point or another, you know, they're going to be coming down to Duluth to spend that money. Right. And so that's kind of how I look at it personally. So with all that going on in our backyard, let's talk about the responsible portion, because I don't think a lot of people really can understand, like, how can you have responsible mining? Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, well, for example, like, Minnesota has some of the most strictest environmental standards, well, probably the most strict environmental standards uh, in the world, and not just that, but labor standards. And currently right now, um, you know, especially a lot of our critical minerals, um, especially cobalt, I like to touch on a lot, we're getting from sources from across the country that don't have the same labor or environmental standards. So for example, I think, I believe 70% of our cobalt that we're receiving is from Congo. And Congo is um, infamously known for using child labor to extract cobalt. And cobalt is an essential mineral that you need uh, for battery technologies. And so whenever you hear the opposition bashing PolyMet or Twin, and, and that's one of the minerals that both PolyMet and Twin Metals will be extracting along with copper and nickel, um, like, for example, the Duluth complex alone holds 88% of uh, the U.S. cobalt reserves. 
the opposition doesn't like talking about that. They don't like mentioning. They, they, you know, they'll talk about how we can get our copper from different parts of the um, of the country, but they won't talk about the cobalt issue because much of the cobalt, much of the world's supply of cobalt is in Congo, um, and you know, Minnesota could really curb, you know, the mm-hmm. less use of child labor by extracting cobalt from both polymeta and twin metals, and. They don't like to talk about that. And not only that, but we're extracting cobalt with union labor and under strict environmental standards. And, and people who work at Polymet and also Twin Metals are from the area. So the, they're, they're the folks that have uh, the most to lose if it were not to be a success. So like they ha- it's, not a, it's not a choice for them whether or not if they're going to do this responsibly, they have to do it responsibly because it's literally in their backyard. Right. So that's kind of the, you know, that's kind of a big issue. Yeah, that's kind of basically what, in short, like in terms of the environmental part of it. Yeah. So I used to work in the oil and gas industry and, um, for a company in town, Lake Superior Consulting. Okay. Yeah. Um, and when I first started, I really had no background of the mining industry or the oil and gas industry. Well, oil being transported, it's the safest transportation within a pipeline Yeah. versus on the road in a truck or by a train, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting how education plays a huge part in people's perception of what the industry actually is about. Yeah. But you're exactly right with the pipeline stuff. I mean, the biggest thing that stands out to me is that I think I have to double check the stat. I should have looked at this before I came in. But if line three weren't in existence right now, or if it didn't get replaced, we'd have to replace it with over 2,500 tanker trucks going from Canada. Superior. Well, how much diesel are those trucks yeah. using? Are you really helping the environment if you stop the pipeline? And then I think there's another stat too where um, pipelines are four and a half times safer than rail on statistically. Yep. You know, I mean, like you hear about old stories about, you know, rail, and I don't want to bash the rail industry because I think it's a great industry, but I mean, it's like, but, you know, old oil tanker rail cars, you know, like mm-hmm. having an accident in the middle of a town and their whole town gets evaporated. You know, like I, I don't know what specific story, but I remember reading a story about that in Canada. You know, I mean, that's, that's what pipelines avoid. Right. You know, and it's also a cheaper mode of transportation. So when it gets passed down to the consumer, they're paying less at the gas pump. I mean, it's just, it's a win-win on both sides, mm-hmm. uh, both sides of the spectrum from both an environmental perspective or, th- or, or like three different sides, environmental perspective, the safety side, and from a consumer perspective. There's so many, there's so many layers in that, just of what people believe from what they hear from others, or if they see one thing online about why this is bad or why this is good, they'll kind of latch onto that. But just the, like you said, the educational points is huge. Yep. Like that mixed with feeling. That's kind of what powerful. I try to do, or well, I shouldn't say me, but I, I say what the organization between the board, like Nick, and um, you know, between the board and myself, that that's what we know is to strike in that balance of both understanding, you know, the it's not just about the facts, but it's also like you're talking about people's livelihoods here and, and opportunities for folks to get ahead in life. So maybe a little political, but let's talk about going environmentally friendly uh, as far as windmills and electric vehicles. Um, again, this falls back on education, but you can't have windmills or nice Teslas without the mining industry, correct? Yeah. All, all those items need steel or um, oil for to make plastic. You need that, correct? Yeah, like a wind turbine, I think, 
uses anywhere from, uh, God, I should have checked this stat again before too, but anywhere from two to four tons of copper. Okay. And even more steel, I believe. Um, and so one of the things I try to tell environmentalists, um, and not that I disagree with them, I mean, if, if they want to promote the renewable energy industry, great. But, you know, I look at from, like, let's say if I'm a governor of a state or I'm the president of the country or whatever else, or I'm a city council or anything, and I'm advocating for wind turbines, the way I look at it is, you know, like when I worked in North Dakota, I, I did a ram summer work in road construction in North Dakota. They got windmills everywhere between Minot and Bismarck mm-hmm. on uh, Highway 83. If I'm a if I'm a leader advocating for wind turbines, I I would I should want to take comfort in knowing that the minerals that were used to create these wind turbines either came from our allies like Canada or Australia or from union labor here in Minnesota or from minerals right here in Minnesota or within the country where people are getting paid good jobs and we know that it was environmentally safe and child labor had nothing to do with creating that Tesla that you see on the freeway or that wind turbine that you see driving down or that solar panel. Uh, you know, or the solar panels that you see by, I don't know, like Target Field or like, um, or when you see Minnesota Power put up solar panels yeah. here in the city of Duluth. Don't you want to take comfort in knowing that there wasn't any type of um, unethical behavior going into making that product? Yeah, absolutely. While protecting, well, you know, in, in hopes of innovating to protect the environment. Yeah, yep. I agree. I think that that is extremely important. Um, where then does the, the mining industry and renewable energy industry come together, right? The curb, the trend right now at least, is that renewable energy from our government is supposed to go up and industry is supposed to come down. How do you guys, do you work with different entities within the renewable energy sector? Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, um, a little bit. I mean, uh, like I like I uh, talk with Elite Clean Energy here and there. Yeah. Um, you know, and and obviously they, um, or like locally Minnesota Power has renewable energy goals, or you know even Enbridge has some renewable energy goals, and so that's kind of you know in terms of that perspective. Yeah, we talk with those companies and 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 we try to connect the dots with people that you know if if you're advocating for more wind turbines, you're going to need x more amount of copper like for example i think in the past uh since human existence we've i think we've mined over five million tons of copper and we have to match that over the next 25 years uh because of the renewable energy industry okay i have to let me actually look that up actually yeah it's super interesting i gotta i want to make sure that i've said this right (laughs) okay sorry Nope. okay yeah, over the last 5,000 years, humanity has extracted about 550 million tons of copper, and we need to extract that in the next 25. Wow. And it yeah. has everything to do with the renewable energy industry. Yeah, yeah no, it's just a, it's a really interesting concept. You have everyone pushing for renewable energy, but they don't realize the ties into the industry, the mining industry. And eventually, if we hit this point where there's so many wind turbines, and don't you have to like replace jobs and... I don't know, there's this big balancing act between the two, right? Yep. You can't push renewable energy so high without without this one. But government and we'll call it the opposition, they want this down here, right? Yep. Well they want they want the technologies, but they don't want to admit the fact that um where we're getting much of these minerals and resources are from countries with questionable labor environmental standards basically in short and and they can say that it's specific to northeastern minnesota but we're seeing opposition groups in every state i mean i've i've talked to mining companies in idaho and arizona 
Um, and, and they're going through the same thing. Anytime they're trying to put in a new mining project, there's a very negative opinion of mining across the country. It's not just here. Wow. You've got quite the support just browsing on your website too, the speakers that come in and, and talk about this. Do you engage the community when that kind of stuff happens? We try to. I mean, uh, um, like we just had a networking event a couple of weeks ago and we had over 100 sure. people show up, I would say. Um, so that's how we engage the community. And then, and then you know, social media is such an effective tool. And so yeah. kind of similar to what you guys are doing, I, every once in a while I'll have a, a guest on to speak um, and do a show and, um, or in just a quick 10 minute interview, you know, and try to keep it low and unless if it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of how we engage the community is, you know, cause like, it's not to talk about bat, but I mean, you got to have popular people on that people right. recognize to keep them engaged in what better in our backyards doing every day. So like, yep. if I ask someone to come on it, you know, I want it to be like a guy like Tom Bach or like a former congressman like Rick Nolan or, um, you know, Pete Stauber, yep. um, you know, maybe like a, like Al Hodnick, a former CEO of Minnesota Power, like like guys, you know, so then it's like, okay, this better in our backyards, you know, they're they're doing something pretty cool. So, mm-hmm. you know, let's follow it. And yeah, yeah, that's how I try to keep them engaged. And then each quarter, you know, with exception to when we're not in a pandemic, um, try to have like a networking event once a, once a quarter. Cool. I think it kind of answered my question just about reach, like outside of the Duluth community, are you going down to the capital? Are you in the Minneapolis area trying to spread the word, trying to That's educate? a good question. Uh, not yet. Not, not right now, currently. Um, our focus has been in Duluth, but in terms of our reach, um, you know, I would say on LinkedIn, we have 2,300 followers. And then on Facebook, I think we have 6,200. And then I nice. would say um, 80% of them are from the Duluth or Iron Range region, and the other 20% is either from... Uh, the cities are northwestern Minnesota. Got it. And then a lot of random people and some random people in Texas follow us and then mm-hmm. Michigan. Cool. What would you say are <clears throat> some of the milestones you hope to achieve over the next, let's say, three to five years? Got any big ones? Uh, right now, currently, I hope, you know, the next big milestone I want us to hit on Facebook is 10,000 followers. Um you know, when I started, we had just a couple companies a part of us. They call it the seed funding stage, where it was a couple bigger companies that were payrolling. Um, but now we've been able to get about 35 individual members um, into the organization. I'm hoping that we hit 50 by the end of the year. Okay. Um, and then three to five years, you know, if we can hit 100, we can hit 100, I guess. Um, but those are some of the couple numbers that come to mind. Um, you know, uh, some of the opposition groups that we uh, – you know, I mean, I don't even want to say battle. I mean, I don't want to put a negative thing on it because, you know, they have their opinions for their reason and I respect it. And, um, but they, they do have a larger following than us and they, and they got a bigger payroll than we do. And so, um, if I were able to work better in our backyard, we're able to get to a similar following as them. Um, that would be huge, which is, you know, 20 to 30,000 followers. Um, so three to five years. Yeah. I mean, if if I wake up three, three years from now and we're at 20,000 followers, I consider that a win. So, how many employees? Just me. Just you? Yeah. Got and it. then and then we got a board. We got a board that okay. bought, um and much of them are in in, uh, in industry. Um, it's a good mixture of uh, we got uh, someone from the union building trades. Uh, we got Nick. Um, we have a couple from the pipeline industry. Um, we have a couple from the mining industry, um, and then uh, we we actually have a teacher from the Virginia high school system. Cool. So. What would you say that 
your superpower is? What makes you successful within this industry? I don't want to say I have a superpower, but I, I, I think, I think for me, uh, personally is just from my background. Um, uh, just, just seeing the benefits that my dad had working with the Teamsters and, and just seeing how the type of hours that he had put in to maintain those benefits. And then, um, so then under, just, I think the groundwork, the foundation for me personally is just understanding the benefits of being part of the union building trades and, and what that means for family supporting jobs. And, and that kind of what, that's kind of what drives my passion. And then, then from there, it's like, okay, well, Polymet supports union jobs and, and good paying jobs. And, and then it also goes into my interest in, you know, economics and understanding that, you know, that's what's going to drive this city. And, and to me, it's just common sense. I mean, over the last 40 years or 30 years, um, I think the loose population has increased by like 90 people or something like that. Um, and there's a direct tie to lack of industry. Um, and then when you look at St. Louis County as a whole, Duluth kind of anchors it. Their population has dropped by 10%, while the rest of the state of Minnesota has grown by 25%. So basically, in short, northeastern Minnesota has been left behind. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that industry is lacking. And I just think that uh, PolyMet could be a catalyst. I mean, if you know, when PolyMet is a success, that will just make it easier for people to accept that Twin Metals can be a success and, and other mining companies down the road too, because it's not just them. I mean, there's there's plenty of exploration companies up in northeastern Minnesota. I mean, like, I mean, the Iron Range is, is, is it's pretty cool when you think about the Duluth complex. I mean, mm-hmm. like in short, we, all, we hold 90% of the iron, um, 88% of the cobalt, 95% of the nickel. The other 5% is in Michigan. And when uh, and right now that's currently be extracted by um, uh, a mine called Eagle Mine. Um, and they're, they're mining it right off the shores of Lake Superior. And mm-hmm. once they extract that nickel and they're scheduled to be done by 2025, Minnesota's going to have 100% of the nickel. And nickel is an essential uh, mineral or it's, that we use for stainless steel. You can't have stainless steel without nickel. Right. Um, so it's just there's a vast amount of resource. Oh, and then we hold 34% of the copper. The U.S. Copper Reserve. So it's just like I mean, it's I mean, it's pretty cool when you think about it. The potential <laughs> mm-hmm. that North like there's no reason why 20 years from now Northeastern Minnesota couldn't be the most booming region in the Midwest if if people. But we just have to have the right people in place to understand the potential. Yeah, it's, Duluth is all about potential. You always hear it, it should have been the next Chicago, even with the with their twin ports and everything. It just never obviously panned out to be that way. But there's so much potential in this area. Yeah, Clean yeah, and, it's, and it's not just Duluth. I mean, it's not like I, you know, like I don't think I think a lot of Duluthians would agree and that they don't want to see it become a Chicago. And I'm not saying that's what you're saying. I, right. uh, but I mean it. I, I'm just thinking about a lot of the Iron Range communities, and you know, I mean, they just they they need a they need a shot in the arm, and they deserve it too. I mean, I mean it. I mean, they just they don't they want to stay home. I mean, they, mm-hmm. a lot of people that grow up there they. They leave, they go to the cities, but then they eventually want to come back home. So there has to be opportunities there. Yep. Right. Um, I mean, how many folks do you see leave? They leave for college, and then once they start thinking about having a family, yep. they naturally just come back home where mm-hmm. their parents are. Um, you know, it's – I mean, some of those Iron Range communities, like Ely, for example, uh, I think has dropped – their population has dropped by 33% in the last 40 years. And then Hoyt Lakes, which is right next to where uh, Polymet – Polymets North Bright project is they've dropped by 37%. I mean, it's just been, wow. I mean, the, the whole region has been devastated and no one's really talking about it. And so when they're, you know, 
So it's just kind of frustrating that people aren't they're not looking at that aspect when they're talking about polymat. Like it's not just talking about like like obviously it's important that we need to responsibly extract the minerals for a renewable energy future, but from the economic side of it, it's devastating that I mean, you, that's, not sustain, that's not a sustainable mo model to build your communities on when your population's slowly declining. Right, mm -hmm. yeah. And you need something to turn that around. Yeah. So if, if somebody that really knows nothing about mining, um, they want to learn more, they hear this episode, where do they got to go to contact you to find out more? Uh, uh, great question. They can, they can shoot me an email. It's just brian at betterinourbackyard.com or they can just follow our Facebook page and LinkedIn page. Um, and then, or they can uh, visit our website. And so the only the only weird thing about better in our backyard, or in terms of like if you're to try to look it up, is that you got to space the back and the yard in the name. Oh, so good tip. Right. One last question. Um, more on the oh, already passion side of things because you're a passionate guy. You follow your passion. We have a, a large following in the Duluth area in entrepreneurship, but we do have a pretty good following outside of Duluth. When you were in Tulsa, moved back to Duluth, took a, a different job. Like what piece of advice could you give our listeners to take that leap to follow that passion? If you would have stayed down in Tulsa, but you're super passionate about what we've been talking about today, like what made you take that leap, or what could you? What's one piece of advice you could give our listeners to, like, listen to your gut? Or well, I think I think especially if you're young, and by young I mean if you're, I would say even if you're 40 or younger or 30 or younger, do you want to wake up 30 years from now doing the same thing? Like, do you? Like, how would you feel about yourself 30 years from now if you decided not to give it a shot? But you never know what's going to happen. But I guess in short, what I would tell someone is just ask yourself 30 years from now, would you be happy if you stayed there? Yeah. Or would you, like, like, even if financially, if it didn't work out, would you have been proud of yourself that you at least took the shot? I mean, like, how mm -hmm. many people that you see regret taking a risk other than gambling or driving <laughs> drunk behind the wheel? I mean, but right. when it's when you're betting on yourself, like, meaning like you're investing in yourself or, um, you know, who, who's going to regret that? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I haven't met someone that has regretted investing in themselves, whether they failed at it or not. The real failure is not trying. So I, and that took a lot for me to understand, you know, I'm not good with change. I like, I mean, mm -hmm. when I moved to Duluth, it was tough for me to move to Duluth from Grand Forks. It was tough. You know, when I moved down to Tulsa, that was tough. When I took this job, it was tough. But at the end of the day, it's like, okay, well, you know, when it's time to, leave the world are you going to be happy with yourself by just taking the safe route constantly yeah yeah, yeah. you can always go out and find another job yeah there will yep. always be other i mean there will always be something that comes up mm -hmm. right powerful stuff but it's it's but it's tough to learn that when you're young yeah you know when you're you know i don't know a lot of was, doubt a lot of insecurity tough to yeah be comfortable being uncomfortable yep yep no, this was awesome. Super informative. Um, I loved it. It was great. Yeah. Great. Well, no, thanks for having me. This was cool. Awesome.